let's open our Bibles today and open our hearts as we turn in them to the 10th chapter of John, 10th chapter of John, uh, and let's just get into it. Let's start reading in the 22nd verse of the Gospel of John, chapter 10. <clears throat> Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were there gathered around him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who's given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We're not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy because you, a mere man, claim to be God. And Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I have said you are gods? If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and Scripture cannot be set aside... Oh, let's never set Scripture aside. What about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said I'm God's son? Do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp then Jesus went across, back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. And there he stayed. And many people came to him. They said, though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man is true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. Today, we, uh, we're going to uh, appreciate an accomplishment that we have achieved together. We have reached the halfway point in the Gospel of John. We are uh, going to reach and surpass just barely the halfway point in the Gospel of John. I don't know if you think that we've gone quickly through the Gospel of John as we started this, uh, this book together uh, when I first started uh, last year in April, or if you think we're going slow, but I think we're going pretty fast, to be quite honest. I, this is faster than I would have assumed we would have reached the halfway point uh, in the Gospel. There's just so much here. And so, good work, everybody. You've done a great job. Uh, uh, in this reading today, it's interesting that we have reminders of things that we've already read and experienced as we've walked this journey with Jesus uh, in the dust of Galilee and Judea. Uh, it, and one of the biggest pointers backward to passages that we've already studied is the last paragraph where it, it talks about Jesus going back, leaving Jerusalem, going back across the Jordan to a place where John had been baptizing in the early years. So he goes all the way back to chapter 1 in his geography. 
Although so much has happened in the last uh, three years of, their min- of his ministry, he goes back to where it all began at the end of this reading today. And the people there, when he meets them in this last paragraph, say that though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man was true. And we need to remember, I think that's calling us to remember what John said about Jesus. Oh, and we remember what he said. He said, I'm the voice calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord, which is a direct reference to, in fact, it says in the voice of Isaiah the prophet, Isaiah 40. In Isaiah 40, oh, Isaiah 40. If you read Isaiah 40 and understand that the voice there is John the Baptist and the one that is being prepared for is the Lord Jesus, oh, what it says about Jesus in Isaiah 40. It says in Isaiah 40, That that voice is to say, here is your God who comes with power. Jesus is our God who comes with power. Isaiah 40 verse 9 says, you who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. So this is the voice going up on the high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. Uh, See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him when he comes, and his recompense accompanies him. Isaiah 40, verse 11, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. He carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. Oh, this is Jesus in Isaiah 40, and what powerful things are being pointed to there by John when he says, I'm the voice, and he's the Lord we're preparing for. Isaiah 40 says that, that Jesus marked the heavens off with his hand. Isaiah 40 says that he measured the waters in his palm, that he weighs the mountains and holds the dust. He brings out the starry hosts and calls them forth by name. Jesus also, I mean, John also said about Jesus that he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He said that uh, the straps of Jesus' sandals he was not worthy to untie. He said that he saw the Spirit of God descend on him and remain on him. And he said that the one, God, who sent uh, John to baptize with water told him that he will baptize, this one will be baptizing with the Holy Spirit. He, he, he said that Jesus is God's chosen one and he must become greater and John the Baptist must become less. John never did, John the Baptist never did a miracle, but everything that he said about Jesus was true. His witness went on well beyond his death, and in fact, his witness continues today. And I hope and pray that they can say that of me and you, that our witness will go on way after our death. When we when when people experience Jesus because we share the gospel with them. Let them say everything that they said about Jesus is true. He touched me. He moved me. He changed me. And they'll love him just like we do. So we're called in this chapter to look back a little bit. uh, And it's a powerful chapter, as you'll see. So let's begin with a word of prayer. Thank you, Lord, for this day. And thank you for this gathering We thank you most of all for this word and, Lord, that it's going to get a hearing today by people who believe and and those that don't. And we pray, God, that it'll be effective, that the hearing of your word will produce faith, 
And Lord, we just pray that the truth of your word will equip and establish and firm up believers so that they are not blown to and fro by every wind of doctrine, but they will be established firmly in the doctrine that we study today. We love you, Lord. We look to you, and we desperately need your help in hearing you and making you known in this place. So God, please use me, and please, by your Spirit, speak to our hearts. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. The chapter begins with an insincere interview. An insincere interview. Uh, verses 22 through 24, uh, it, it begins with, they, then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter. Uh, I, uh, I, I love this. I love how this passage opens up because it gives us a real feel for the scene that's going to take place here. We, we get the weather in this situation. We, we know what's happening, who's there, where they are, and what time of year it is. Back in chapter 7, Jesus went to Jerusalem. You remember his brothers mocked him and said, if you're going to be famous, you need to go down there for the festival of tabernacles. And, and he did go midway through the festival. And, and he, he went there, and that was kind of a late summer, early fall festival of tabernacles. And he was there, and he stayed there. And he, began, he was teaching and preaching and, and, uh, and, uh, and doing mighty works in Jerusalem. Since that time, the results were mixed in chapter 8, verse 30, it says, many believed in him. But in 8.37, the same chapter, it says, others had no room for his word. And in chapter 7, verse 43, chapter 9, verse 16, and chapter 10, verse 19, they all say the people were divided about Jesus. That's unfortunate, isn't it? Divided about Jesus. Now, the, between verse 21 and 22, we have a two-and-a-half to three-month gap okay we we are we're, it's not fall anymore now it's winter time and winter in palestine is rainy season and so you you, you picture jesus now walking in solomon's colonnade a colonnade is the porch it's got columns it's got these big columns and 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 it's covered and so why is jesus walking in the colonnade probably because the weather is icky because it's cold and it's wet and nasty and it's you don't think about jesus walking around in cold weather but he was that day and as he walked under the 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 colonnade there in the winter time there were some people that saw him there it was the festival of dedication do you remember the festival of dedication uh you know what that is uh, uh, we we studied the book of daniel not long ago anybody remember that uh yes no okay good 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 we remember here that we remember that we studied daniel not so long ago there was a there was somebody that daniel prophesied about that came during the periods between the uh the testaments uh the the 400 years but when the bible was uh silent between the testaments and the person that we heard about coming was the awful uh, Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus Epiphanes, that Greek ruler who ruled over Syria and warred with Egypt. And, and he went down into Egypt in, in, in battle and got embarrassed terribly. And on his way back, he decided to take out his rage, his wicked, wicked rage on Israel. And he became uh, one of those in history, one of the, the worst uh, in history so far, who uh, took it upon himself in the spirit of Antichrist to try to eliminate the Jewish people. 
He tried to do away with them. He killed hundreds of thousands of them. He, 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 he outlawed everything Jewish. If a mother circumcised or had her, had her baby circumcised, the mother and the baby would be killed. He killed hundreds of thousands of people for observing God's word. He outlawed observing the Sabbath. He outlawed the scriptures. If you were found with the scriptures, a copy of the scriptures, it was a death sentence. You think about what it takes to be a person of faith under persecution. And the temple. The temple, uh, he really did a number on the temple because he took a, a, a pig and he sacrificed it on God's altar there in the temple and, and set up an idol to Zeus. And he demanded that all the people of Israel worship the Greek gods. And if they didn't, they would die. And many compromised and said in a pragmatic way, well, you know, we'll just go along with this. What's it really matter anyway? But there was a, there was a, a handful of, of priests, the Maccabees. It was a family called the Maccabees. And they, they, they started doing guerrilla warfare against uh, Antiochus Epiphanes and the, and the Syrian army. They started, they started fighting back, and it was, it was, they were successful. They did quite well. And for eight years, they carried on a terroristic-type guerrilla warfare. Uh, and in the year 164 B.C., they reclaimed the temple, the Maccabees did, and they rededicated the temple, and that's what's being celebrated here. And it's, it's the celebration that continues to be done by the Jewish people during the month of December. And today we call it... Hanukkah, yeah, Hanukkah, the, the festival of lights. It was winter. It was winter. It was cold. It was Hanukkah. It was the festival of dedications. I'm sure there were decorations up in the temple talking about the, de the rededication of the temple and that celebration. And verse 24 says there were Jews that were there. They gathered around him. Well, that's a nice way of putting it. Uh, another way you could have said it was they surrounded him. Or they encircled him. They got around him. And they said, how long, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. I want to tell you, you got to be careful of people who act like they want to know something from you. You got to be careful of people who act interested or act uh, enthusiastically about something they, they want from you. Oh, tell me, tell me, tell me, because sometimes their smiles hide their true intentions. What do they want? And they said, How long? Tell us plainly. Now, when I, when they, when I read that, tell us plainly. Oh, how long are you going to keep us in suspense uh, if you're the Messiah? Tell us plainly. I, 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 I just have to giggle, I just have to marvel at them that they would say this. And I, I, I snap back to chapter 9 where, the, where the, the man who had formerly been born blind, who's been healed, is talking with them and, and they're questioning him. And they're like, uh, we don't even know where this man is from. And, and that blind man, who's not blind anymore, he says, that's remarkable. How can you not know where he comes from? He opened my eyes. It's remarkable that they can say, oh, you've never told us who you are. Why don't you tell us plainly so, so we won't be in suspense any longer? This is an ambush. This is an entrapment. 
Oh, say it, Jesus. Oh, say it. They're, they're thinking today could be the day. This rainy day in, in Jerusalem under this colonnade, this could be the day that we finally get him and get him to say what we, uh, what we want him to say at a time when we can grab him and run him in. Say it, Jesus. Just say it. An insincere interview. Second part of this passage that we see is his answer, and he gives an abundance of evidence. He gives us an abundance of evidence in answer to their question. I want you to notice three proofs of who he is that he gives in verses 25 and 27. Jesus answered, I did tell you. Amen, he has. But you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me. But you do not believe because you're not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Stop right there for just a moment because we already see these three plain proofs of who he is. Uh, We see the works. The works are a proof of who he is. We'll talk more about that in a second. His voice, the word, is proof of who he is. And the sheep. Those of you who follow him, those of you who've heard his voice, listen to his voice and follow him and obey him, your proof of who he is. And these three things should be plenty to get us to see who he is. Let's talk about the works. He turned so far. We're not going, we're not going beyond where we are, okay? I, I try to discipline myself to just talk about what we've read so far as the book opens up. So far, we've seen him turn water into wine. Now, fair enough, the disciples were the only ones and the servants were the only ones that knew about that one. But then he cleared the temple courts. Now, you might say, well, that's, is that a miracle? Well, one man clearing all those animals and all those people, I would say that there was a, a spiritual power about that moment that he could chase all those people out and cause a riot uh, in the temple courts like he did. Nicodemus in chapter 3, verse 2, said, No one could perform the signs that you are doing if God were not with him. In chapter 4, he was traveling back to Galilee, and a man from Cana came, a royal official came to him and said, Oh, if you don't come to my house, my son's going to die. And he said, Your son's not going to die. He'll live. It was about 1 o'clock, and when he got home, he realized his son was healed on that very moment. And he and his family became believers. In chapter 5, uh, he, he met a man who'd been an invalid for 38 years by the pool of Bethesda. And he said, do you want to get well? Do you even want to get well? And then he healed him. In chapter 6, he fed 5,000 families. We call it the feet of the 5,000. It was 5,000 men. And so those men represent families. So he fed 5,000 families with two loaves of bread. Is that right? With three loaves of bread, five loaves of bread, and two fish. Thank you very much. Thank you, Velma. Five loaves of bread. I knew it was wrong when it came out of my mouth. And two little sardines. Then he walked on water. Again, the disciples may have been the only ones to have known about that one. We'll give, we'll give these guys a break on knowing about the walking on water. Chapter 9, there was a man born blind. And they all said, nobody's ever heard of a man born blind being healed or getting better. That's just unprecedented. These are just the signs that 
we've read about so far. And there's so much more that he's done. There's so much more. John is careful to try to just document the ones that the other gospel writers left out. And so these, most of John is, is new material. John is old, he's going to die, and the other Gospels are written. And he's like, there's still so much more to know. And so he tried to fill in gaps. And there was so much more that Jesus did. To break my own rule and skip forward in John, we can go to the very last verse. And the very last verse of the book says, and Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Oh, he's done so much. His works testify about who he is. His works make it obvious who he is. They're noble works. That's the word, that's the word that, he, that he uses in verse 33 when he talks about good work. These are noble works. It's undeniable to everybody who's experienced that this, these works are good. What he's done, what he did for that blind man who was born that way, and what he's done for that man by the pool of Bethesda, what he's done for people has been noble. It's been good, so good. Jesus asks them at that time, well, which ones of these should I not have done? You know, why are you, why are you stoning me now? Should I, which one of these should I not have done? These good works. It makes me want to talk to you about miracles a little bit. Does God still do miracles today? Does God still do miracles? I, I think about the people that watch us, and I know that people watch us and, and actually worship with us, although worship is probably not what unbelievers do, but we have unbelievers come. And I wonder to myself, as we talk about things that Jesus did 2,000 years ago, how, how does this lead them to faith? They, do they believe that these things happen? Do they not? And so there's a question of, do these things still happen today? Something we need to know about miracles in the Bible and in today's life is that in the Bible, they didn't happen as often as we think. And in today's world, they don't happen as seldom as we think. They happened less frequently in the, in the Bible than we think, and they happen more frequently in this world than we think. Let's talk quickly about the Old Testament. I, I had to do this because I've just, I felt burdened to do it. Faith is called for, even during the time of the Old Testament, to believe in God. And I, 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 I did a little walk through the Old Testament as, as best I could, finding the miracles and finding the times, uh, the times, the timeline between the miracles. And as, as I recall it, there's about 18 major miracles or ages of miracles in the Old Testament. Uh, the, uh, when we talk about the plagues and the Red Sea and the, and the wilderness miracles, we'll just call all that one big age of miracle. Okay? And we'll call Elijah. All his miracles, one miracle, and Elisha, all those. So let's just group those together, but then you have these others that are like Joshua and the sun standing still, that are kind of standalone. So there's about 18, if you count all those groupings as one. And I want to tell you that the average span between miracles in the Old Testament, the 4,009, 4, is that right, years that span the time from creation to the arrival of Christ, 
223 years between miracle. So in most people's lives, they never saw a miracle. They never saw these great acts. They had to believe that they happened. And in fact, the psalmist says in Psalm 77, 11, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. He had to believe the scriptures, had to believe that those things happened, had to believe in the exodus, that God did what, he said, what, what is said that he did. We get in our minds that the days of old, the prophets were like wizards in a day of magical wonders. But that's not it. Their life was like our life. And most of them never saw any of these great deeds, but had to believe in them, that God did them. Today, we cannot collect all the stories all around the world of everything that God is doing and has done. He's still healing people. He's still saving people. He's still casting out demons. Lives are still being changed. Families are still being restored. Uh, things that are left for dead, marriages that are left for dead, come back to life. He's still doing miracles. And every salvation is a major breakthrough. And the angels rejoice in heaven over that one that repents. And God has done plenty to prove himself to us, to you and me. Amen? Unless we're like these insincere seekers with their sham interview and their bogus questions, trying to entrap Jesus or ensnare Jesus or somehow argue against Jesus with a remarkable ingratitude and a regrettable cold unbelief in the dead of winter, we have to see that he's working around us and he's done mighty things on our behalf. I wish I could tell you my story of how, how he has done so many things for me. And I'd love to hear your story of how he's done so many things for you. You must acknowledge his mighty works and not forget them and be grateful for them. And it'll change your life to remember. My family's a miracle. My, my whole, the whole situation is just God doing things that probably shouldn't have happened, except for he just did it. It's a long story. I, I, I can't take the time for it now. The fact that, that Sherry, God put Sherry into my life and put us together, it's a miracle. The fact that Millie came into my life, our life, it's a miracle. I'd love to share with you that it, it was God. Please acknowledge the great and mighty works that God has done on your behalf. And be grateful. And don't forget, He still does miracles. He does them today. I, 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 we were praying uh, for a man in my former church just this past week. I got, I got the notice, please pray for Charles. He's lost his hearing, and they say he's not going to get it back. And they prayed and prayed and prayed. And long story short, he's got 92% of it back. He still does miracles. And God is being praised with everybody that knows that man. Everybody knows that situation. The works testify. The words. They said, tell us plainly. Tell us plainly. Well, Jesus has told them plainly. And if we walk again through the book, he said to Nicodemus, the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life. Good grief. What a statement to make. 
about yourself, that you've got to be lifted up so everybody believes in you will have eternal life. We know what that means, but Nicodemus didn't. Tell us plainly. The Samaritan woman said, I know Messiah is coming. And he said, I who speak to you am he. Jesus said, my father is always at work and I too am working. They wanted to kill him for that because he was saying he was equal with the father. In chapter 5, verse 21, he said, For just as the Father raises the dead. Listen to what Jesus says about himself. Just as the Father, in the hearing of these men, just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he pleases to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has e eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he's granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he's given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who've done what is good will rise to live, and those who've done what is evil to rise to be condemned. These are the things that Jesus says. Tell us plainly. Tell us plainly. In 5.33, Jesus said that John testified to me. 5.36, he said, the works that I'm doing testify to me. In 5.39, he says, the scriptures testify about me. In chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus declared, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. In chapter 6, verse 63, Jesus said, These words have I spoken to you. They are full of spirit and life. In chapter 7, verse 16, Jesus says, My teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. In 7, 38, Jesus says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. This is where the, uh, the temple guards, they say, nobody has ever speak, spoken like this man before. And he keeps going, 812, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And at this point, they say, who are you? Who do you think you are? And he answers in 858, before Abraham was born, I am. Oh, my goodness. Tell us plainly who you are. Don't keep us in suspense. Really? The man who was born blind, Jesus asked him, do you believe in the Son of Man? And that man, he said, who is he? You tell me so I can believe. He says, now you've seen me. I'm the one speaking with you. In chapter 10, Jesus calls himself the gate, the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Tell us plainly. He has told them and told them and told them. They don't want to hear. But he said it. He said it. What are we going to do about it? The works, the word, and the sheep. And the sheep. The sheep are proof. The sheep are proof. They are evidence. Back in verse 3 of chapter 10 here, last week, we read, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him. 
and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he's brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Out of the mixed-up sheep that are in this pen, a big conglomeration of mixed-up flocks and everything else, he calls his sheep out. He said, let's go. And they answer. They heard his voice. And they responded. They listened and they followed him. Jesus says, I laid down my life for you. And I'll take it up again. I've risen from the dead. I'm in heaven now. And I live to intercede for you with the Father. I want a relationship with you. I want you to be my sheep. I want you to hear my voice. I want to know you, and I want you to listen to me. That's what he wants. And you, dear friend, dear brother and sister, you've heard him. You came out. You heard his voice. You heard his call, and you came out in response to him calling you. And they said, yes, Lord. And you said, yes, Lord. We keep going, verse 27. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who's given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Nowhere in Scripture is it said better than this. I mean, this just says it. Uh, Once you're saved, you're always saved. That's a fact. To deny this, to doubt this, to teach anything other than this, is to teach against the very words that came out of Jesus' mouth, our Lord, to say that we could lose a salvation is to say that what he said here is not true. That somehow he was misleading his listeners. He said it. Once you're saved, once you're saved, you'll always be saved. He says, I give them, I give them eternal life. That means they didn't earn it. It's not by merit. And so all the the cults and the counterfeits and and the corruptors of his grace need to hush because his grace is a gift. There's only one way to have eternal life, and it's to receive the gift of Jesus Christ. There's no way you can earn it. And if somebody's teaching that, then they're teaching something that is other than the gospel of Jesus Christ, and Paul pronounces a curse on them in Galatians. Eternal life is given. So take it or leave it, but it's the only way you'll have it. It's given. And he says, they shall never perish. I don't have anything to say other than that. I think it's self-evident. <laughs> never means never, and perish means perish. They will never perish. It just won't happen. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Jesus says, I've got you. I bought you. I'm never going to let you go, and I'm going to bring you home. And nobody, not the devil, not any of his Demons, no, no false teacher, no one can snatch you out of the hand of Jesus. He says, I've got you, and no one can snatch you out of my hand. Verse 29, my Father who has given them to me is greater than all, 
No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Jesus has you in his hand and the Father has you in his hand. You're double-fisted secure. There's just no taking you away from your security and salvation. Believe it. Receive it. Rest in it. You didn't earn it, but he gave it. If you'll have it, he offers it to everyone. He offers it to you today. If you are his sheep, if you are his sheep. Verse 27, if you are his sheep, the big if, oh, be his sheep. You believe and you follow and you listen. You don't just hear, you listen. There's a difference between hearing and listening. You listen and you are secure if you're his sheep. Second Peter talks about dogs and pigs. Dogs go back to their throw up. I'm sorry to have to say that to you today. And pigs go back to their mud and wallow in it. We also know in Scripture that there are wolves that dress up like sheep. They, 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 we have wolves in sheep's clothing. Counterfeit Christians. Some are dogs and some are pigs. They just keep going back to the filth of this world. Some are wolves who the devil has sown in here to try to hurt us and destroy us, wound us, divide us. Cause us to not follow and cause us to not be fruitful. Pigs and dogs and wolves. But if you're a sheep, if you're his sheep, you will obey and you will listen and you will follow. and You are secure. And you're unsnatchable. No one can take you out of his hand. We've seen this insincere interview and this abundant evidence with plenty of proof for anybody to come to faith. And he finishes with an urgent appeal. Finishes with an urgent appeal. Verse 33. We're not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. And Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I have said you are gods, little g, if he called them little g-gods to whom the word of God came, and Scripture cannot be set aside, let's never set Scripture aside. It cannot be. If you set it aside, well, that's you, but it's not going to set aside. It's going to always be true, and it's going to be the last thing that, that, that it's, it's going to endure the, the consummation of this world. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. So we hang on to this because it cannot be set aside. Let's make sure we hold on, amen, to his word. Can't be set aside. What about the one whom the Father has set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said I'm God's son? The, uh, uh, the little g-gods statement is is interesting you know it's interesting it's 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 jesus being brilliant and they're they're accusing him of saying this and jesus reaches back and gets this obscure verse from psalm 82 6 and, and pulls it back and and reminds them that even god called the judges of israel the corrupt judges of israel little g gods he said they were going to be held responsible 
for what they'd done in their rule, in their authority. And they were going to be held responsible and accountable for their corruption. When you think about this little G, God's thing, in some small way, we are a little bit like little gods. And forgive me for saying this, but Jesus said it. We've been given great responsibility in the world. He, he, he's given us dominion over the world. We, we have a responsibility to be accountable, to be good stewards of this world. He's given us an immortal soul that will never die. That soul will go on and on and on and on forever and ever and ever somewhere. So in that way, you are a little immortal. A little G. But Jesus is setting himself apart from all of that. He's not like that. And the whole point of this second to last paragraph is that they need to believe. Verse 37, do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand the Father is in me and I in the Father. And again, they tried to seize him. It's so frustrating trying to kill Jesus when it's not his time yet. But I want to tell you something. Jesus did not give up on them. He didn't. He continued to, to ask them to believe. He urged them to believe. He pleaded with them to believe. Believe. If you won't believe me, at least believe the works. Open your eyes. You don't need more information. You don't need me to say this more plainly. You just need to acknowledge what is happening all around you. Wake up and believe. Look at your life. Look at how God has been there doing things in your life every step of the way. Look at your life now and see God at work. You don't need more information. You need to see what is happening right now and believe. Believe in Jesus. Believe in Him. If you believe in Him, re-believe Re-establish re your belief. Trust Him more in whatever you're going through right now. Just believe. And if you don't believe yet, if you're not one of His sheep yet, we want to give you an opportunity to respond to Him today. We're going to have our names of our, our decision counselors on the bottom of the screen there for you. And we hope and pray. We do pray and we have prayed that you'll call them. They'd like to talk to you about anything you want to talk about. Pray with you about anything going on that's heavy on your heart. Time is running out. Time is running out for Jesus in this passage. It's winter time. He leaves. And he's not coming back to Jerusalem until Palm Sunday. He's down to his last three months. And he says to these men, you've got to believe. You've got to believe. Jesus is running out of time to persuade these men to believe. And, he's, and you're running out of time. You're running out of time. But you have a chance today to put your faith in Jesus Christ and trust Him and believe. Let me pray for you now, and I thank you for being here. Lord, we thank you so much for this time together. 
We thank you, Lord, for the, the love, the life, the, the security that you give us, that you, that, you, that you just love to share with us. You are a wonderful shepherd. You are the, 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 the great shepherd, and God, you are our loving Heavenly Father. What you have done for us, we will never get over. And as your sheep, we praise your name. Thank you for speaking to us today. And Lord, thank you for helping us to listen. God, we pray that we'll be obedient to trust you and follow you. And Lord, we pray for those who haven't yet given their heart to you. God, please help them. Help them today. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.